Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Well, hey everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. This week, I have Dr. Dale Bredesen. Now, this has been a long time in the making, this uh, podcast, and I'm super excited to bring you, uh, I think, the world's leading expert on Alzheimer's and dementia. Dr. Dale Bredesen, uh, he earned his MD from Duke University Medical Center and served as a chief resident in neurology at the University of California, um, and then became a Nobel laureate Stanley Prisoner Laboratory at UCSF and an NIH postdoctoral fellow. He's held faculty positions at UCSF and UCLA and the University of California in San Diego. And Dr. Bredesen also directed the program on aging at the Burnham Institute before joining the Buck Institute in 1998 as the founding president and CEO. He has over three decades of experience. He is the author of uh, the book, um, The First Survivors of Alzheimer's, and he's written a number of books, actually, and many, many publications. He has... uh, devised a whole protocol, the Bredesen Protocol, for reversing Alzheimer's. We often hear of cancer patients who have survived cancer, but you don't very often hear about an Alzheimer's patient who has survived. Well, Dr. Bredesen is changing that story. He's changed, uh, trained over 2,000 practitioners all the way, all around the world, including in New Zealand, and uh, teaches people on how to assess for uh, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, all the stages, all the things that, you, that go into the development of this disease. And we go into a deep dive into that today. So I'm very, very excited for this. If anyone who has uh, a history in the family of dementia, for anyone who has got um, people in their family that are suffering from it now, this is a must-listen episode. Or if you just want to be in that preventative space and keep yourself well and um, keep your brain functioning perfectly, then this is the episode for you. Um, before we head over to the show, I'd like to highlight a couple of the supplements that I have in my my range. I have um, Ketone IQ, and we mentioned ketones in this podcast a number of times, and for brain health, ketones are really a key factor. In fact, they've been shown to be as powerful in this case, when we're talking about Alzheimer's and in, in, in some of the studies that Dr. Bredesen goes into, olive oil and ketones are both very, very powerful things uh, for, for Alzheimer's. I use it in my brain rehabilitation also helpful for people trying to transition and become more insulin sensitive to improve their metabolic health ketones are uh, a fantastic thing to add into your protocol you can listen to the episode that i did with dr lat mansour from uh, hvmn Health via Modern Nutrition, who are the producers of that product. Uh, we also have one from SRW, uh, MSC1, it's called. That's also a ketone-based product with some other things in there as well. So check out those over in my shop at lisatarmity.com. Uh, the other product I just wanted to highlight is Stem Regen. This is a stem cell mobilizing product. So we know that stem cells are the repair system of the body. And I had Dr. Christian Drapeau on recently. It was an absolutely amazing uh, podcast. I highly recommend you go and listen to Dr. Christian. And we now have his product, Stem Regen, in the shop. Uh, so 
it's an absolutely amazing product for mobilizing more stem cells into the body from the bone marrow uh, in order to repair whatever the body needs. So really getting at those hallmarks of aging. So I hope you enjoy those products. Go and check them all out. Check out all of the things we have, um, the NMN, the NABD precursors, the quercetin, the berberine, uh, the blood sugar regulations, all of those are relevant to today's topic. Um, and of course, check out my books as well, Running Hot, Running to Extremes, uh, Relentless, and my latest one, What Your Oncologist Isn't Telling You, a deep dive into the metabolic approach to cancer. So without further ado, now over to the show with Dr. Dale Bredesen. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to this week's show. I have an absolute luminary in the field of brain health, Alzheimer's, dementia, Dr. Dale Bredesen with me today, and I'm super excited to have you, sir. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really amazing. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Appreciate it. Uh, we were just talking before we got started. Um, I was telling you a little bit about my mum's story. Then, you know, my listeners all uh, have heard it ad nauseum. <laughs> um, my mum and, and her journey with uh, both the, the stroke and the aneurysm and then later on with cancer and, and seeing her brain and seeing it recover again and again and again. And I have to include a, about a dozen uh, concussions in the middle because she had lots of falls as she was learning to walk and things. Um and so I've seen a brain go from being very, very damaged to very good again, to being damaged again, to being good again, and all of this within your 70s and now 80s. Um, mm. And I know that brains can heal. And I know that Alzheimer's and dementia is, is different to stroke and aneurysm uh, mm. and brain cancer. <laughs> but we it, it, underneath there is so, so many commonalities. And so... What I wanted to do today was to really dive into you and your research. And for starters, Dr. Dale, how did you get here? Like, well, how did you get into uh, working in this particular space? Yeah, actually, I was, you know, I was an undergrad at Caltech and I was interested in computers. And I read this amazing book called The Machinery of the Brain by Dean Wooldridge. And he talked about how brains and computers were similar. And I just got very, I just got fascinated by the workings of the brain. You know, how do you learn new things? Where is this stored? How does this work? Uh, and of course, so many amazing things that have come out. How, you know, how do we have communication? Uh, where, you know, people sometimes don't understand how this is actually working. You know, is there such a thing as telepathy? I mean, on and on and on. The brain is this just endless source of fascination. And so um, I started taking all, you know, all the brain-related and neuroscience-related courses that were offered. Uh, and then I thought, okay, if I go to medical school, I can understand what actually goes wrong with the brain. So I did that. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, you know, this is the area of greatest biomedical therapeutic failure. As they say, everyone knows a cancer survivor or two or three. No one knows an Alzheimer's survivor. Well, now, you know, we've published a number of them now. Yeah. And we're seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them uh, do better. And so I, you know, I devoted my career and 30 years in the lab running my own lab to what is the fundamental nature of the degenerative process? Why is it that we've been so unsuccessful? Alzheimer's, Lewy body dementia, frontotemporal dementia, ALS, uh, just go right down, corticobasal degeneration, uh, you know, pr progressive supranuclear palsy, multiple system atrophy. I mean, you just go down the list of these de degenerative conditions. They are all death sentences. Yeah. 
just well, nothing. So, so there must be something wrong. And actually, I, my my mentor won the Nobel Prize, uh, uh, Professor Stan Prusner, wow. for his discovery of prions. And these are very interesting, essentially proteins that beget more of themselves. Okay, so is that, are, are we out there breathing them? How are we getting these diseases? And what became very clear from our molecular biological studies over the years is that this is fundamentally a network insufficiency. Mm. So as we get a little older, you know, you have a supply and you have a demand. And unfortunately, your supply is dropping down. Your demand is going up because you're exposed to pathogens and you're exposed to toxins. And what we've discovered now is that really Alzheimer's itself, although this relates to our cognition for all of us to getting better cognition, but what ultimately becomes what we call Alzheimer's disease is driven by two things. Number one, your innate immune system. So anything that is driving inflammation, and it can be your uh, oral microbiome, your gut microbiome. It can be uh, that you, you're eating a poor diet. You have metabolic syndrome. Many, many, many things that can do this. So that's one driver. Then the other big driver is energetics. Yep. So your brain needs blood flow. Mm-hmm. It needs oxygenation. It needs mitochondrial function. And it needs to burn either glucose or ketones. Um, and of course, what we find is that what happens, we, when we're young, we burn glucose and ketones. We can go back and forth. It's a beautiful system. As we get a little older, and this can even be in your 20s or 30s, uh, but for many people, it's their 30s, 40s, 50s. Now what happens is we lose both of those. We lose the ability to burn the glucose because we develop insulin resistance, which is so common. And then because of this high, your insulin now goes higher because you have insulin resistance, high insulin prevents you from making ketones. So now you've lost both. So when I see patients who are having cognitive decline, to me, that's an emergency. These people are not getting enough appropriate support for their brains, which is why their brains are involuting. And I also realize, okay, if they've got anything driving inflammation, that's actually requiring more. So now your energetics are really insufficient. So for the first time, we now have an understanding of these different diseases. And what we see is a variation on that theme for ALS, for Lewy body, for even for macular degeneration. The same thing applies. You just have to adjust it for the biochemistry and the genetics and epigenetics of those conditions. So I think for the first time, we really have the opportunity to reduce the global burden of neurodegeneration. In fact, we're opening the first institute that does that. Mm, wow. We're very excited about that. Um, and so I think that it's a change way we think about this. And my gosh, we just see it again and again and again with people getting better. But as I said, it also means we can all, pretty much all of us, make our cognition even better by observing those same principles. That's absolutely wonderful. And that was a, such a, a beautiful um, picture that you've made there. So energetics, so versus uh, innate, immu- in, in, innate immune system activation, really, is what you're talking about. I, I've heard you say you know, IA over E is a simple, nice exactly. picture for people to put, put as, as, as a, the innate immune system being activated through 
parasites, viruses, toxins, I dare say even uh, vaccines because they add in, you know, we don't want to get political in any way, but things that the adjutants that are added in can sometimes add to that load. Um, viruses, of course, can add to that load. Uh, and, and anything that's going to cause an inflammatory reaction in the body can be adding to this problem. And then you've also got the trophic support that starts to decline as we get older, our hormones, uh, yeah. you know, our growth hormones, our, uh, our pituitary function, all of these things start to 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 go down and add to the mix and then the energetic side i mean i'm i've, I've talked i've done many many podcasts on insulin resistance and the keto diet and um why we have these problems with metabolic syndrome most yeah. of us i think it's something like 85 percent over the age of 40 have got a metabolic syndrome so we've got a broken metabolism when we're not able to go between ketones and glucose we're solely burning glucose and becoming more and more insulin uh, resistant. When my, when my mum was in the hospital with the aneurysm, they were giving her Ensure, which is a high corn uh, fr- fructose and corn syrup based drink, into a brain, sure, yeah. mm. in, into a brain with brain injury. Now back then, I had no idea. I didn't know that that was a bad thing. Um, it had all the vitamins on the back on the packet, um, yeah. but it was a complete disaster for her brain. Later on, when I realized I had her on a keto-based diet and we had a lot of vegetables and we had a lot of good oils and good fats coming in and fish oils and these these types of things coming in and ketones. Um, and, and we actually have exogenous ketones now um, that we have in the mix. And she's metabolically very, very flexible now. Um, she's lost over 58 kilos in the process. Wow. Yeah. So a complete person basically <laughs> because she was, you know, she was very overweight. And, um, but uh, this insulin resistance, people think, you know, you get that middle age spread. Oh, well, you know, it, it's just a bit of middle age spread and people, um, are, are sort of like, well, it's not important. It's maybe they're aesthetically not too happy about it, but they don't understand the implications of that for all of the diseases from diabetes and pre-diabetes to Alzheimer's to cancers, the risk it goes through the roof when we have metabolic syndrome. Can you explain why being solely glucose dependent and unable to shift between glucose and ketones is so detrimental to the brain? Yeah, I mean, multiple reasons. Um, and, and so let me start with some really nice work that was just published uh, recently uh, by Professor Rick Johnson, a colleague and friend who's from University of Colorado, and he and David Perlmutter and I and a number of other people uh, published. But this was really Rick's uh, research. Very interesting. What he pointed out was whether you have it through fructose consumption or whether you have it through glucose consumption, where you do get the glucose converted to fructose, uh, you can get there. And you can also interestingly get to the same place through too much sodium, so salt. So Mm. these three triggers all trigger a pathway that is essentially an evolutionary pathway that recognizes that winter is coming. So when Mm. you go, when so what happens is fruit ripens, starts to drop, And so primates would go out and then they literally, you know, 200 pieces of fruit. This isn't, you know, having an apple after dinner. Um, But of course, we're doing the same sort of thing, not with having a piece of fruit after dinner, but with having uh, high fructose corn syrup syrup and things like that. So much processed food 
full of this stuff. And what it does is it tells you winter is coming. So what you're going to do is you're going to store fat. Wow. There goes your middle to just what you were talking about. And not only that, you are going to turn down your ATP because you've got to have a long winter ahead. You turn down your ATP, as he showed, by about 15%. Wow. So, so that's your resting metabolic heart rate, uh, resting metabolic rate. Sorry, your, your thyroid. And you're, yeah, and you're literally saying, okay, I am not going to fuel my brain the way I did before because I'm going to hope to make it to spring. Now, the problem is that's the last thing you want to do with someone with Alzheimer's or with impending Alzheimer's. And so this just makes them worse. So you go, you, you have this, uh, you know, you, you have this exposure to fructose. So that's one of the things. And then, of course, the, you could almost go, go right down the list. All the worst things you can do for your brain can, can come from fructose and glucose. The next thing, of course, is you non-enzymatically glycate your proteins. We measure this as hemoglobin A1C, but of course, that's just one of hundreds and hundreds of proteins that are now wow. non-enzymatically glycated. So your body recognizes those as foreign. You end up having a pro-inflammatory, often even an autoantibody response to this non-enzymatic glycation. So now you've got the inflammation side and you've got the energetic side right there together. As you probably know, it also turns down your thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. So now again, you've turned down the, one of the important things to have your brain function normally. Of course, yeah. as you also know, you start damaging your blood vessels. So now you're, you're not perfusing as well. You also, of course, damage your kidneys. So all these things. And, you know, I, I talked to one of my one of my very good friends from college, just a brilliant guy um, who uh, found out that he was APOE4 positive, mm -hmm. uh, has some Alzheimer's in his family and also has some vascular disease in his family and contacted me recently. And, you know, we went over his numbers and, you know, he said the point he's, you know, living normal life and, and, and doing well and, you know, uh, very, very smart guy. Uh, and, and yet you know, look at his numbers, has severe, I mean, not just metabolic syndrome, severe metabolic syndrome. Wow. And so, you know, this is completely reversible. This, and I said, look, it's, it's could you contacted me now? I mean, this guy could have problems with heart disease tomorrow, um, as of course, as we all could, mm -hmm. but he's at very high risk, unfortunately. Yep. And he's also at very high risk for Alzheimer's disease. So let's get, you know, let's fix these things now. His, you know, HOMA IR, which should be around 1.0, was up around six. Wow. Uh, you know, six fasting, uh, fasting insulin of 22. Um, you know, these are really dangerous numbers. Yeah. Uh, so again, there's just so much that can be done. And what's amazing to me is that so little is being done. Just interrupting the show to let you know about our patron community here and the podcast at Pushing the Limits. We've been going for eight years and we really need your support to keep the show on air and free to everybody so that everyone gets this fantastic information uh, from all these great doctors, scientists, athletes, business people from all around the world. So we would love you to come and join us. You get a lot of exclusive member benefits when you do, but really it's about supporting the show and keeping it on air. And for a coffee or two a month, 
that would be fantastic if you can come and join us. You can go to patron.lisatamati.com. That's patron.lisatamati.com and check it all out. So our, our current healthcare system, certainly here in the States, and I don't know if it's better there in New Zealand or not, but we tend to be very uh, reactive, non-proactive, and just kind of wait till someone has problems. Yep, exactly. I mean, I'd like to go over a few things that you've said there. So when you're talking about glycated proteins, so yes. that's sort of like the caramelizing of our insides. I, I always have this picture in my head of someone taught me once of onions being fried in the frying pan and the sugar comes out of the onions and it goes nice and brown, yeah. <laughs> which is brown. great for an onion, but not so good on the inside of your body when that's glycating. And I know that's a simplified analogy, but when we have high blood sugars, we are damaging the proteins. It's sticking to them and it's causing damage to the proteins um and then you you've also yeah we, we totally both agree that um the, the the current medical system and the current model is very reactionary not in that preventative space and that gentleman that you mentioned you know like he's lucky that he's been able to have this assessment by just looking at some simple tests most mm-hmm. of them are simple and and then going well we're right out of whack here and because you can you 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 can see Alzheimer's and dementia and neurodegeneration coming twenty years before it actually becomes a problem, and this mm-hmm. is the the wonderful opportunity that I see. Because when when you in your forties, maybe you're in your fifties, and you're starting to notice that hmm, I'm forgetting everything. I'm not. I'm, and it's not just from stress. It's not just from oh, I've left the keys somewhere and I don't know where they are. But you're doing, starting to have brain fog. You're starting to have problems. That is the time. That is the time where you should start to go and get these tests done and start yeah. to look at your numbers. Start to see what your your fasting insulin is, what your you know your homocysteine is, your HbA1c, your blood sugar. You know all of these. Um, of course, your cholesterol pa- panels, and, and you've got a raft of tests that you you have in your program, which we'll get to later. Um, but just to see whether you are actually already starting that process, because that that very early stage, we can we can shut it down right then and there. Yes, yeah. That, that's what's interesting to me. So, you know, one of the critical messages is that Alzheimer's is now optional. Yeah. Look, if wow. you don't want to get it. You know, don't be lazy. If you don't want to get it, you don't have to. You know, don't come in when your MOCA score is zero, when you're in a nursing home and say, okay, reverse it now. It's harder yeah. than we see people improve, but but it's much harder. Don't get it to begin with. Now, when you get Alzheimer's, and this again, this is related to normal cognition, you go through four phases. Phase one, you have a normal cognition, you're asymptomatic, but you can already show often in your late 20s, mid 30s, you know, anywhere in that kind of 29 to 45 range, you often find that you're already finding changes in your PET scan if you happen to do one. Uh, or you can find changes in your spinal fluid. But, you know, who wants to go in for spinal taps every year, yeah. right? The Got great it. news is now there are tests you can get um, just come out. Things like PTAU-181, PTAU-217, and GFAP, where they're reflecting what's going on in your brain years before you actually have the symptoms. So they're wow. going to be very helpful going forward. So the second phase is SCI. And I think that might, you might argue that's the most important because 
when people are there for prevention, they don't feel that need. Oh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. Do I really want to get, do I really want to get on prevention? Well, you should. I, I argue that everybody who's 40 or over should get on prevention. But if you haven't done that and you've begun to have some changes where you notice things are different, but you're still scoring very well on cognitive tests, that is by definition, subjective cognitive impairment, SCI. Mm-hmm. And that lasts, as the epidemiologists have shown us, on average, 10 years. Yeah. So you have a tremendous opportunity. All the SCI people, we can reverse, no question. They, they, they do very, very well. Now, one of the leading experts in Alzheimer's in the world, well-known clinician for decades, said to me, SCI is normal. What? So he believes that as we get to be in our 40s and 50s, it's just normal that we all have poor memory. I mean, that's the problem with this field. We Mm. have all these people who've had nothing to offer over the years. And so they're just saying things like, you know, don't bother to get your APOE status checked because there's Uh. nothing to do about it. Um, You're having a subjective cognitive impairment is normal. I mean, it's a you know, wait for the next drug. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, it's, really it's a disaster. It, exactly. It, it so really is. Absolutely. SCI can be reversed in virtually everybody. Now, the third phase is MCI, mild cognitive impairment. And those people, by definition, now are scoring abnormally on the cognitive tests. And those people, 5 to 10% of them each year will convert to the fourth phase, which is dementia. Wow. And by definition, that means you've now had problems, begun to have problems with your activities of daily living. But we've seen people go from even a dementia score of, say, 15 up to 27, which is a which is normal. And 27, they probably had some still mild, mild MCI, but just dramatic improvements. Now, that's a a, a, a score out of sorry, explain the scoring system. So the scoring system, the locus, uh, locus, is it the scoring? So goes the up to 30. Starts, right. This is the, the scoring system from MOCA. So, uh, Mo, so Montreal MOCA. Cognitive Assessment, it goes from right. zero to 30. Um, and so, you know, normally you want to see someone score 29 or 30, that sort of thing. Uh, as you're getting down 26, 25, 24, I mean, that's significant MCI. And then there's a, there is a crossover. 19 to 22 can be uh, MCI, you know, late MCI, if your activities of daily living are okay. If they're not, then of course you're already crossed into dementia. And then we see people still able to improve down to about 16 or 15. Below that, it's increasingly harder and harder to get people to turn around. Now we've seen people go from zero to nine, which doesn't sound like a lot, but they're able to dress themselves again. They're able to interact with their families. They're able to take care of themselves again. They're able to speak again. So it's a big change, but we've never seen anyone go from zero to 30. And my hope is that during my lifetime, we will be able to get someone, but it's going to be stem cells and it's going to be intranasal trophic factors because you've got you've lost so many synapses at that point. You've got to build back this complex network. So it's you know it's going to be difficult. But the yep. point is, nobody has to go through this. Yeah, and we can start this much much earlier. So when you say mild cognitive impairment, it's it's, it's an unfortunate name really because it's already <laughs> you've got a problem. It's like pre diabetes. It's yeah. not pre anything in my mind. It's like you've got a problem. <laughs> yeah. You you it's not a 
you know, like I, I, I hate the word when it's mild because it already means you've got significant problems and we can be improving these things now. And so prevention, you talked about trophic factors there. Um, These are the hormones, the different, can you explain what trophic factors are and what can we be thinking about putting into the mix in that consideration? And does that include peptides, by the way, because I'm heavy into peptides. Do you consider that trophic support? Oh, absolutely. Oxytocin, things like that. Oh, yeah. So let me just say before we start there, mild, calling someone mild cognitive impairment is like saying mildly metastatic cancer. (laughs) It's a relatively late stage of this chronic problem that we, that it ends up as dementia. So I think that's a horrible name. It should be called relatively advanced Alzheimer's disease, but not end stage. Now, as far as trophic support, there's three different kinds. And, you know, these things are things that bind to various receptors and trigger a trophic response to tell the cell, yes, you're supposed to be here. You're going to be stay differentiated. You're going to stay active and you're going to stay alive. And so number one, it is the classic neurotrophic factors, nerve growth factor, brain derived neurotrophic factor, NT3. Um, something called GDNF, um, ADNP. I mean, there are many, many of these things. These are typically, they're typically proteins or peptides uh, that bind to their specific receptors. Then secondly, as you mentioned, there are hormones. So Mm. estradiol, one of the Mm. best examples, um, absolutely wonderful for best cognitive support. Testosterone is another one. Progesterone, pregnenolone, DHEA, so-called neurosteroids. Um, these things are, are very helpful. And then the third group are nutrients. Uh, things like, uh, you know, things like uh, vitamin D, um, vitamin yeah, D12. Huge. <laughs> these things are critical. Choline mm-hmm. is another good example. So these are all supportive. Now, you also mentioned peptides. Yes. And absolutely, I believe... As we go forward, one of the most powerful and one of the most common things we will use will be intranasal trophic factors. And this can be uh, things like uh, ADNP, where there's something called divunatide, which is a fragment that that triggers the ADNP receptor, which is a very powerful trophic effect. It failed a few years ago as a monotherapy, but asking something to be a monotherapy Mm. to help Alzheimer's is kind of like saying, you know, what's the one thing you can do to make it so you'll never get COVID? Well, it's not one thing. There's a whole set of things. You know, we've got to kind of exit this era of monotherapeutics where we take one thing and it's going to do everything. It's kind of silly. Now, you know, of course, you know, when you are helping your mother, you know, when you're setting up your show, when you're doing things for your own health, it's a whole network of things that have to function together in a coordinated manner to get the best outcomes. And of course, same for your brain. you got to do all these different things. So things like thymosin alpha one, thymosin beta four, cerebrolysin is another one that's been touted. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity, but again, everything has to make theoretical sense in that you've got to be able to see, you know, what is this like doing? For example, if you give a bunch of intranasal insulin, be careful, you may develop more insulin resistance. And so far, intranasal insulin, again, as in monotherapy, hasn't succeeded for Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's. But 
in the right amounts at the right time, this this may be very powerful. Uh, I actually think that some of the Alzheimer's drugs are that way. They do target the, the molecules they were meant to target. They do engage. We know that from the preclinical studies. They just don't help people with Alzheimer's because the whole concept of what Alzheimer's is, is incorrect. Used in the right way and the right doses at the right times, they may turn out to be very beneficial. I love that whole network analogy, and I've I've been, you know, preaching this for a long time, that we need a multi-pronged approach for pretty much every disease that we come across, especially all the chronic diseases. It's never a one, take this pill, and everybody wants that solution. When people come to me and they're, you know, I'm working with them on their health, they want, what's the one thing? And I'm like, there is no one thing. What is the thing that you did for your mum to get it back? Why? And it's like, it's, and I've heard you use this analogy, it's the roof with 36 holes in it. Yeah. And you've yeah. got to plug all 36 holes. And that's a pretty much it. It's a very multi-pronged, multifaceted, relentless approach. You know, I, I titled my book Relentless because you have to be doing this day in, day out for years and ongoing. And, and that's a hard sell, right? It's a hard sell to get people to change their lifestyle, do the exercise, eat the better food, stop the the yeah. alcohol, do, you know, have the saunas, do all of this whole program. But this program approach versus monotherapeutics, I think is the answer for all of the chronic diseases that we're facing. We need to be thinking in uh, you know, if I'm working with cancer clients, it's not just we're looking at the cancer and the genetic mutations of that cancer. We're looking at what did you get here? How did you get here? Where did this come from? Can we work that out? How can we support the body's health? How can we support the immune system while you're having to do these medications? It's a very complex, difficult right. process that requires engagement from the person and often their loved ones support people. And those are the people that I have success with. The ones that are very much, where's the pill? Give me the one thing, the pill. And I don't want to spend much money and I don't want it to cost much effort. And I want it all to be in one pill. (laughs) We're never going to succeed, you know? Yeah. Well, so it's interesting to me. We are living in a time of seismic shift. I was trained in in medicine and neurology in the 1970s and 80s, a long, long time ago. Uh, but we were trained in a way that, you know, you look for a disease, you make a diagnosis, you say, you learn to say what it is. Is it Alzheimer's? Is it Parkinson's? Is it Lewy body? Is it whatever it is? And then you write a prescription based on what it is. And it's a prescription that doesn't work very well. Although, to be fair, uh, people with Parkinson's have done relatively well. The problem being that the medicines don't stop the decline. They just help the symptoms to some extent. So the problem is this does not help. It just as you said, it doesn't help these complex chronic illnesses. So whereas a hundred years ago, most of us were dying of simple illnesses like tuberculosis or diphtheria or things like that. Now, virtually all of us are dying of complex chronic illnesses. And I really believe this is the century in which we will put a stop to those complex chronic illnesses. Things like lupus and things like Alzheimer's and Lewy body and things like that and schizophrenia because we will begin to understand them better. And we've now got to change from checkers to chess. It's no longer writing that prescription. 
It's now going to be looking at the network. And this is where, you know, systems medicine comes in and precision medicine come in. But it's very powerful to see what happens when you're looking at what's driving the process and doing the right thing. It's amazing to see. And let me give you an example. We have, I'm working with a number of health coaches and one of them, Carrie Mills Rutland, wonderful health coach uh, from New York City. Uh, She and her husband, Tim, work with patients all over. Um, And one of their patients, for example, had PCA as a presentation, posterior cortical atrophy. Um, This is one of the presentations for Alzheimer's disease, also called Benson syndrome, after uh, one of my late colleagues at UCLA, uh, Professor D. Frank Benson, very famous, uh, excellent neurologist. And he described a syndrome where you have posterior cortical deficits. So typically it's things like recognizing shapes. Um, Often they complain of visual problems, not because they can't see, because they can't process what they're looking at. Um, And this person was having trouble with, for example, driving uh, in a a parking lot where the lines, she couldn't kind of understand what are the lines for, how we, what do you do? Um, She couldn't copy shapes, things like that. And of course, developing Alzheimer's as well and starting to have problems with her memory. And her MRI showed that her parietal lobes were down at less than one percentile. So tremendous after. So she started getting on the program and doing well, started to improve. Well, it turned out she had complex issues. So number one, she turned out to have a tick-borne illness, Bartonella, Mm -hmm. which was treated. Number two, she was treated for herpes simplex. Number three, she ended up having significant mycotoxin exposure treated for that. Number four, she had metabolic support and trophic support. So she starts to get better. And then I mentioned uh, to uh, to Carrie, well, you know, she should also be considering EWOT. EWOT is mm-hmm. exercise and oxygen therapy, as you know, very good for uh, for energetics. And a lot of people really like EWOT for its support. Now, obviously you used HBOT. Yeah. Um, and, and they have They're each one right. has its own advantages, They're, but they both can be very helpful. So when she started that, started really uh, improving, um, you know, her MOCA scores improved. So interestingly, her follow-up MRI, and to be fair, that was done even before she started the EWOT, <clears throat> her follow-up MRI showed her uh, parietal lobe, which had been at less than one percentile, now at the 23rd percentile. Wow. So just dramatic improvements, you know, in her imaging. That's just, and these are the sorts of things we hear again and again and again and again. Uh, And again, and why also we recommend please come in as early as possible because there's so much more that can be done. And and you you train practitioners and doctors and health coaches and people all around the world in your pre code and your recode uh, protocols. Is that correct? Um, yeah, so we've trained over 2,000 physicians um, as well as other personnel, you know, health coaches, as you said, and psychologists, uh, neuropsychologists, and you know, on and on, uh, nurse practitioners, uh, you know, people uh, around the world. So 10 different countries and all over the U.S. So there are a lot of people out there. Now, unfortunately, some of them are doing things part way. One of the things that we find is you have to keep at it. Just exactly yeah. what you said. You have to be relentless. relentless. <laughs> and we see this all the time where people will say, you know, I got some improvement and then I'm kind of backsliding a little. Well, okay, something's been missed or you're not addressing it. So then we go in and we find out, ah, okay, here's what was not found before. And as an example, uh, Julie G, who actually wrote part of the second book with me, 
uh, amazing APOE 4-4, um, had symptoms, had dropped down to the 35th percentile by 2012. She's now, you know, over a decade on, and she's up 98th percentile repeatedly. She's done great. She found out she was backsliding a few years ago, and it turned out in her case that she ended up having Babesia, which is a tick-borne illness, wow. just like Lyme disease. Um, she was treated for that, and then it turned out, unfortunately, she also had some mycotoxin exposure, um, has been treated for that. But with that treatment, has done very well. And one of the things that I thought was really helpful, Dr. Christine Burke, who's over here right near Sacramento, pointed out that in her patients, what she sees is you do the basics, the diet, the exercise, sleep, stress, brain training, detox, and some basic supplements. Those are the kind of the, the basic seven. Um, most people will get better for about nine to 12 months. Mm. If you then during that time find out, are there toxins that are specific? Are there specific pathogens that we've been missing? Do we have to heal your gut? Do we have to fix your oral microbiome? Do you have chronic sinusitis? More specific things, then they will sustain that for many years. But they'll at least get that nine to 12 months improvement that gives you time to see that. But after that, if you don't attack what's actually causing the problem, they will then begin a downhill course again. Um, and I'm sure you've heard about the drugs that have been, you know, there's a big argument now about these drugs that are probably going to get approved. And yet what no one mentions, drugs like lecanemab and donanemab, they didn't do as well in their trials as extra virgin olive oil alone, ketones, ketones. alone, yeah, olive oil. so-called combined metabolic activators, recode. I mean, they didn't do as well as simple things. They do not make you better. They do not keep you the same. What they do is they slow the decline by about 27% for lecanemab, 36% for donanemab. That's it. Wow. And, and, and this is the, this is the silly thing, right? You've got you can get olive oil, you can get <laughs> ketones. I mean, I have my mum on exogenous ketones, and it honestly, you know, with her complicated history and uh, struggles with some of the medications to get her ketones into a therapeutic level naturally, I give her that extra support to make sure that her brain's getting enough, um, getting enough fuel support you know because and she's limited and, and she can't go for a run or hop in the sauna because you know we, we it's too hard on her body she doesn't have an ability to cope with that sort of a stressor or or the ability to run obviously um so we have to do other things around that you know and and she's on a very you know elaborate regime and we we do things like thymosin alpha one and thymosin beta four cerebellicin we're doing um bpc 157 we're doing all of these things plus mm. you know and I, i'm i i'd love to come and do a lecture to your group at some stage about <laughs> relentlessness you know being an ultra marathon runner i know yeah. that you have to train day in day out when you see no no results and yet you still have to keep going because it's in the plateaus that the magic happens. And I've seen mm -hmm. this also with hyperbaric oxygen therapy is that you, yes. you'll, you'll go up, you'll have this amazing response often at the start and then things will taper off and people say it's not working anymore and they stop. And that's where you don't stop when there's protocols for having breaks and then restarting and stuff. But it's about continuing on and finding your way, what is the next thing? 
I am yeah. always looking for the next thing. And you can't tackle it all at once, by the way, because it's just mind-blowing right. and overwhelming. And so there are still aspects that I'm working on with mum, uh, you know, like the mycotoxin piece is next. Uh, the microbiome is an ongoing journey because there's so much damage done from the operations and so on. So that's a constant that battle that we have going. So we have all of these projects within this one project. And I... Yeah sort of like like act like the, the CEO and we have like 15 doctors on the team and we're working on different aspects and of course this is very complex and very difficult um, but we're getting extraordinary results and you know one of the reasons I'm so excited to meet you is because I know that I'm going to learn something more and I'm going to take that away and, and go and learn that you know um, and, and it, this is the approach that you have to have and this is very difficult when you're the person with the Alzheimer's or the dementia because you're yeah. struggling with the actual disease. And this is where support from the loved ones, your yeah. team, your team is just absolutely key. Uh, you, you need a coach. You need someone. You need doctors. You need you need health coaches. You need all, all these people on your team to, in yeah. order to get you back. And that might sound overwhelming, but, you know, like you said, start with the basic, the basics. Start with yep. the diet, the, the lifestyle, all of those sorts of things first and foremost, so that you 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 get the ball rolling. Once you start to get some change happening, keep that motivation up. And when you hit a plateau, understand that that is what nature does. You have plateaus in nature, and it's only the people who push through those plateaus that will get to the next step. In my experience, you know, yeah, it's such a good point, and I do I think this is where you know the health coaches are one of the most important groups of people involved because if, if they have the right attitude and if they're if they're good psychologists and they're helping they have to be both psychologists and biochemists so they have to know okay where are we headed what's what does it need wait a minute something's not quite right maybe something is being missed these things are so so important and as you say you know you do start simply just just get going and then and then and i you know what i hear all the time is people say you know, things aren't going well and there's some decline. And I say, okay, let's start back at the basics, make sure that those are all taken care of. Then we can go to the fancy things. So the first question is, okay, what's your ketone level? Oh, we're not doing that. Well, wait a minute. Okay. So are you, have you tried e-water? Have you tried anything? No, we're not really doing that. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's clear. They're not even doing the basics. What they're looking for is the crystal on the forehead. That's some magic thing that's going to now suddenly, um, you know, make everything better. And it just <laughs> does not work that way. You know, it's, you can't fool the nervous system. Uh, and and the, you know, you've got to have appropriate synaptic biochemistry to make this work. Yep, absolutely. And, and if we talk about the different types now of, of Alzheimer's, because there's different classifications, we, we've talked about some of the, the causes, but you know, can you give us some of the classifications of the different types of, of Alzheimer's that there are? Yeah, so what we found is that when we started looking at it since then, you have to remember all these diseases, you know, we're in an era where all these have been defined pathologically. So Alzheimer's means you look and you see some amyloid, you look and you see some tau, and you say, oh, that's Alzheimer's. And you see the brain is shrunken, you know, lots of synapse loss. But let's look at this now biochemically and let's look at, okay, what's driving this process? So you're seeing a reduction in trophic support, for example. So what we found is we started looking at these people with larger data sets, 
we say, oh, okay, you can see these different subtypes. So the first thing we saw is, okay, some of these people, it's mostly inflammatory. You know, these are the ones that have an innate immune system activation. And I should mention, amyloid itself is part of the innate immune system. And specifically, it's part of the memory function. So just as you have a memory on your adaptive system with your memory, uh, for example, memory B cells, things like that, you also have a memory on your innate immune system. Wow, that was new to me. That was, that's, that's a new one to me. I didn't realize that. Well, it's interesting. It lives at three locations. It lives in your bone marrow. So you can either be set on high alert the next time you see a COVID virus, for example, or you can be relaxed if you're, for example, doing well, healthy, and you're taking some omega-3s and things like that. Second place it lives is in your endothelial cells. So if you're on high alert all the time, you're going to be more likely to form thrombi and to have microinfarcts and things like that. Wow. The third place it lives is in your tissue macro, uh, macrophages, which in your brain, of course, are your microglia. Microglia. Mm. Yeah. So, so there's the inflammatory type of Alzheimer's. We see it a lot. And the good news is it's pretty easy to, to treat it because you need to damp that down, like resolvins, very good, and then come in with, okay, what's causing it? And then it may be that you need some dental siding for your oral microbiome, or it may be that you've got an abscess and you need a cone beam to find that abscess, or it may be that you've got a leaky gut or all sorts of things, find it, treat it. Second uh, thing is we found that there are other people that look very different. The first one is kind of the 64 year old man who's you know red and got horrible you know metabolism and all sorts of inflammation the second one is you know the 73 year old woman who just has no hormones you know everything's low uh, estradiol's gone testosterone's gone pregnenolone is low vitamin d is low everything is just not there to support the brain they're not inflamed at all um, in fact they'll often tell you i feel fine but they're they're often they, they've shriveled a little. They're coming there. They've lost weight. Um, they're frail. And so they need that support. They need the, the support that you know they should have had before. And so that will bring back their ability to make and store memory. So we call that type two or atrophic Alzheimer's. And then we found one that has both of those features, and that's called glycotoxic. And this is, again, people with too much sugar, too much fructose, too much glucose, where you see the high hemoglobin A1Cs, you see the insulin resistance. And what happens is you get inflammation from what we were talking about earlier, the non-enzymatic glycation, but you also get an atrophic state because of insulin resistance. The insulin is such an important trophic effect on your brain. When we used to grow brain cells in a dish in the lab, we would also always have to include insulin transferrin selenium, ITS, because the insulin is such an important trophic factor. So that's type 1.5 glycotoxic. And then interestingly, when we first understood those, we noticed that there was another group of patients that looked different, acted different, and did not respond to our initial treatment. And actually, I published that back in 2016. And we ended up finding out, I started calling the spouses, you know, what happened? Where did they grow up? What's going on here? What could this be? And it turned out that these were people who had exposure to toxins. Mm. And it's three different types of toxins. It can be inorganics, um, things like air pollution, uh, mercury, things like that. Second, it can be organics, 
things like glyphosate, toluene, benzene, things like that. And then thirdly, and unfortunately, relatively commonly, exposure to biotoxins like mycotoxins, such as trichothecenes, gliotoxin, ochratoxin A. And I have to say that's been the toughest mm. one to deal with because mm. people live in homes where this is just massive exposure mm. and it's really tough. You, they got to get outside. They got to get HEPA filters. They may have to move or they may have to remediate. It is tough. And it's a multi-year process. You've got to detox. You've got to get these down and you can see them in the urine and things like that. Uh, yeah. And you can see it's them a complicated. Absolutely. Yep. So we call that type three or toxic. And interestingly, they often present very differently. The typical person with type three is a 52 year old woman who has lost executive function first, not amnestic first, but executive function wow. first. Mm-hmm. Often APOE, often not APOE4. They sometimes, they can be APOE, but, but that it's essentially the same as in the background population. And they often start with depression um, and, a, again, a non-amnestic presentation. So they look completely different from the other ones. Mm. And you measure their toxin levels and they're off the charts. Wow. Um, and they have to then detox. Uh, then there's type 4, which is vascular. Um, and we see this in people, you know, with vascular disease for other reasons. When I was training, it was thought that vascular dementia and Alzheimer's had nothing to do with each other. But now it's very clear that they are closely related. And again, because Alzheimer's is fundamentally about reduction in energetics and yep. an increase in the innate immune system activation. Yep. Mm. So no, no surprise. And then the final one, uh, type five is traumatic. And there are people we've known for years where they've had head trauma, things like repetitive injuries. And of course, they can get uh, CTE, uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Uh, but the reality is that that's almost essentially aborted Alzheimer's. These are people that have a tauopathy but they don't have the amyloid. Yeah, they've actually, uh, they've taken the amyloid up over the years and they have a tauopathy. But for example, there was an interesting study done way back in the 80s by Dr. Gareth Roberts, who showed that after people had had head injuries from car wrecks, their amyloid levels just shot up. Wow. Uh, so it is part, again, it is part of that inflammatory response. So, so, so when the drug companies go after amyloid and they're trying to just get rid of the amyloid, it's been, you know, billions, I think, spent on amyloid, trying to get rid of amyloids. That's a very, once again, overly simplistic approach that this is a response of the immune system actually has some positives to it. When you take the amyloid out, it's not always good. It's not always a positive thing. It's part of the process, but it's not the only thing. Is it sort of downstream of? of the problem, not the cause of the problem. Yeah. And so to be fair, there's a good and a bad. So let's talk for a minute about you know, what is it? Okay. So imagine that you saw someone with leprosy, but you didn't know about mycobacterium leprae. So you would see granulomas in this person and you'd say, hmm, they got granulomas. Let's get rid of the granulomas. And hmm. so you now develop an antibody that binds to this tissue and removes granulomas. Well, that's kind of a a naive way to think about leprosy. You have to get at, you've got to use the dapsone or whatever you're going to treat it with to kill the organism. 
The same thing happens in Alzheimer's. There are organisms. The, the pathologists have shown us there is P. gingivalis, there is herpes simplex or HHV6A. There's all sorts of these things. You have, unfortunately, multiple organisms often in your brain. Mm. Amazing studies looking at rodents, giving them candida. Yeah. In your, you know, in your bloodstream and saying, okay, let's see if the blood brain barrier can exclude the candida for a month, two months, three months. The answer was a couple of minutes. Straight candida in. found its way into the brain within a few minutes. So these things have access, unfortunately, they have access to our brain. That's all there is to it. And so when your brain is responding, what does it do? It produces an antimicrobial called amyloid. And so you now start to see these plaques. These are, the, as, as Professor Lee Hood showed, it was, was uh, one of my professors back at Caltech, uh, just an amazing human who's, who invented the DNA sequencers that sequenced the wow. gen, uh, human genome, won the Presidential Medal of Science from President Obama. Just a, uh, you know, he's my role model for scientists in the world. Just an amazing, amazing guy. As he points out in his recent wonderful book, uh, which is called The Age of Scientific Wellness. Uh, amyloid is a wonderful biomarker, but a lousy therapeutic target. And I think that's a good point. Now, on the positive side, it is essentially, a it's like a cytokine. It is a long-acting antimicrobial signal. So, okay, to that extent, if you say, look, cytokines are just like we die from cytokine storm in COVID-19, I'm going to remove some of that inflammatory tissue and I think I'm going to get a better result. Okay, but the bottom line is you're playing with a balance. We've seen a number of people where you take that out, they do worse wow. because this is fighting something. You're hoping that what actually caused this problem is now gone. And every once in a while, you're going to be right. You know, so, uh, you know, what do they say? Uh, you know, a, 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 um, a dead clock is, is right twice a day. So it's <laughs> kind of the same thing. You know, uh, amyloid antibodies are going to be right every once in a while. Yeah. But people who are looking for those things that are actually bringing it about, there is a process in your brain going on and you'd better be aware of that. And, and definitely we've seen some people, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you start removing the amyloid, they do worse. Yeah. Exactly. Now, where I'd like to use it, where I think they've kind of missed the boat. Get rid of all the upstream problems. Make the person resilient. Do all the right things. Get them out of those various insults. Now, instead of using high doses of this stuff that just rips it out of your blood vessels and causes brain bleeding, I mean, it's a, it's a horrible concept. Use micro doses and slowly remove that long-acting cytokine, essentially, I think that's the way to go. But no one's willing to think in those terms yet uh, that who's got the, you know, who's actually using the drug. It's all about give this I because know. you want to make billions of dollars. It's a bit like chemo, you know, like, you know, I think there's a place for the low dose chemo with insulin potentiation where you're bringing it in, you know, like, or low dose naltrexone, which is one that I've been studying yeah. the last couple of, couple of weeks, you know, like, uh, wow. The difference when you give it a low dose. Yeah. LDN all the time. Oh, that's interesting because, yeah, I've been doing a deep dive into LDN and just going, what does this not do? You know, this is a fantastic drug. Um, Why are they not shouting it from the rooftops? It's because the generic uh, (laughs) can't make much money off low dose naltrexone. But, you know, for autoimmune and things like that, 
Um, but it, or even for things like vitamin C, where it's the opposite, you, you know, you give oral vitamin C um, is 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 positive and it's an antioxidant. You give the the very high levels of intravenous I, uh, IVs, you know, in someone who has sepsis or pneumonia or or cancers or, or things like this, that it has a very different yeah. um, mechanism of action in the body that is not being recognised in the general medical world. Of course, there are experts in, in vitamin C. I've done a, a big series on vitamin C. Um, but you know, there's this this nuance that gets always lost in the conversation, and you know, there's this resistance to try low levels of things and small amounts of things, or to change protocols, or to use off-label drug combinations where there's no big money, and and, and things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which to me is just like, well, this is a very fundamental. You, you you can understand the processes of by which hyperbaric uh you know increases the oxygenation increases the blood cell increases the the stem cell production lowers the inflammatory picture so all of these things are going to be adding to the piece as does ewat you know in a different different way um but all of these are pieces of the puzzle i did want to ask you about the apoe4 allele um it, so just for people who don't understand or never heard this this is one gene there's many other genes that are implicated but this is the famous one um when people have a, a four allele either one or two copies the, the the risk i believe goes up is it three times if you've got one allele and up to 12 times or something if you've got two of these alleles can you explain a little bit that's right. Yeah. So that's a good point. And as you say, it's one of around 100 genes that have been identified um, that give you risk, but it's the most common one. And so, you know, everybody should know their APOE status. And again, we've been told not to find out because there's mm-hmm. nothing you can do about it, which nothing could be further from the truth. There's a tremendous amount. And there's a wonderful website, APOE4.info, which was started by, by Julie G. I mentioned mm-hmm. Julie earlier, who's a 4-4 herself and has done very, very well. So as an example, three quarters of the population is APOE4 negative. So I checked myself, I'm a 3-3. That's kind of the most yeah. common thing. Yep. Our okay. risk for two, Alzheimer's three. during our lifetime is about 9%. It's not zero, but it's not too high. If you have a single copy, and that is 75 million Americans. Now, what's mm. the population of New Zealand? Uh, only 5 million. 5 million. Only okay. Million. So about 1.25 million of those are likely to be because wow. about a quarter of the population. Yeah, my husband has it. You know, he's one allele, which so we're on preventative. Very, very common. Yeah, uh, and these people are at, as you said, it's about threefold. It's right around thirty percent lifetime risk for getting Alzheimer's disease, and then seven million Americans, so about two percent of the population, uh, has two copies. It's much less common. Uh, but they are up around 70% likelihood. Wow. And now other genes will make that either go up to 90 or down to 50. So, you know, it's it's up there somewhere. But the bottom line is, if you have two copies, most likely you will develop Alzheimer's during your lifetime. Wow. So therefore, no problem. Get on prevention. Get on it early. You should do great. Um, you know, my argument has been, um, my generation is the last generation that will have to fear Alzheimer's disease. Um, you guys should not have to worry it. My daughters, who are now in their 30s, uh, should not have to worry about this. Get checked out. You know what to do. Um, work with a health coach. Make sure that you do the things optimally. And if things, if you ever have a problem, find out what's driving you. Maybe you have a chronic infection you didn't know about or you have an exposure you didn't know about. Okay, get in early. Absolutely, you can something you can do about that. Now, 
Just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com and hit the shop button and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world, interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there. Stuff that I give to my family, that what's in my range. So go and check it out at lisatarmity.com. APOE4 has a, a huge number of things. And actually, we published some papers in the lab. It was fascinating to me because not only does it carry, and you know, we think about it as being like the butcher. It's the guy who carries the fat around. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's an apolipoprotein, carries mm-hmm. lipids. But it turns out also it is, it binds to receptors that had been known before, but it enters now, binds to receptors like LRP, and there are several of them. It enters the cell, and interestingly, it interacts with a pro-inflammatory molecule, uh, which is NF-kappa B, mm-hmm. and then the RELA part of it, and then it enters the nucleus, and it interacts, we found, with 1,700 different gene promoters. Wow. So not only is it your butcher carrying around the fat, but it's the senator making the laws of the land. It's literally changing the programming in your cells. And then if you look at, okay, what are these genes it interacts with? Wow, you could not tell a better story for Alzheimer's disease. So it interacts with pro-inflammatory genes. One of the things that's interesting that APOE4 does is it turns down the things that normally limit the inflammation. So uh-huh. now get an inflammatory state, you don't turn it down as much. And that's mm. why people with APOE4 have a poorer outcome from COVID-19. They are more likely to get that cytokine storm. Well, oh, they're getting wow. Alzheimer's because of cytokine drizzle. You're getting a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of inflammation. So what and you need to do does. is turn mm. that down. Yeah. And then Find out what's causing the inflammation and addressing that, you know, you'll do very well. It also has to do with things like uh, the estrogen receptor. Um, It has to do with phosphorylation of tau. You normally have phosphatases that will take the phosphorylation of tau off. This now inhibits that. So your phosphorylation of tau stays longer. Mm. So it's an absolutely fascinating protein. Wow. So, and so people with, I, I had never connected the dots that the APOE4 people who carry that allele ha- also have this uh, increased inflammatory response. And okay. NF kappa B, again, going back to LDN, that would be a, something, it, it, it is a good prevention for that. Um, IL6 and, and NF kappa B. I mean, I'm getting into the weeds now, but um, just to, uh, yeah. Things- yeah, I mean, resolvins and a healing Pro, the gut. Special the main thing pro-resolving. is, yeah. So, the key thing here is, you know, we as physicians must change, and this is why it's been so hard. We must change fundamentally the way we think. The way I was trained was you have a problem, you write a prescription, or you send them to surgery. That's it. Mm-hmm. Now, what we have to do is say, no, no, life is more complicated than that. We are dealing with physiology, which is incredibly complicated, all these interactive pieces. Anything that we write, whether it's a drug prescription, whether we're giving you curcumin, whether we're giving you hormones, whether we're giving you LDN, we're saying 
we know better than human physiology. So we have to be very careful. We know we're going to change. We know we're going to change something, which is going to in turn change something. And it's going to be all these things. We better be smart enough to know, okay, this is changing you in the right direction. Maybe you have some chronic exposures. You've got a little bit, your HSCRP is a little high. Okay, we're going to use things like uh, pregnenolone and curcumin or ginger or things like that to bring it down. We're going to then find out where it is. You're kind of on this ongoing physiological optimization pathway to give people better longevity, better cognition, et cetera. But we can't be so naive that we just say, okay, go and rip out that amyloid from your brain by getting an injection, which is going to go up to your brain. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, this is in your vessels among other places. And you go in there and you just rip it out. And then you say, Oh my gosh, this person has bleeding into their brain. Why? Yeah. It's not that surprising. No, this is just a horrifying approach, actually. And, and, and this is why testing, you know, um, I have arguments often with doctors because I need my, my clients to go and get blood tests done. And there's so much pushback from just the simplest blood test. And God forbid you ask for an APO A and B or something, you know, <laughs> that's like, what's that? You know, um, uh, it's, it's really frustrating because you, you need to, you need to add these things in. And, and this is what your practitioners do. Um, is a very personalized approach. It's not a program that goes one plus one plus one plus one and all of you are going to be good. This is looking at your genetics, your environment, your blood results, your MRI results, all of these things, keeping an eye on it over time, adding in things. So it's a very time intensive and difficult um, process from that perspective. And the medical, the current medical model where you've got 10 to 15 minutes with your doctor is just not going to cope you know, cut it. And this is where I do think that, you know, health coaches, nurse practitioners, allied health professionals um, who can spend more time with their patients or with their clients to understand really what's going on and to be that detective, to be that investigator that's actually uncovering, tweaking, changing. And that's not doable in a 10 minute see you every six months appointment. It's exactly. just not. It's just not doable. And this is why I think also the education that the person and their loved ones has to be on this journey. You know, as I said before, I think that that's absolutely key. Coming back to that, that APOE4 allele, why would nature make us, you know, have this mutation that makes us more prone to inflammation when there is, you know, so many inflammagens out there, if you like? Um, that's such a great question. I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, you know, when we have to change our models from thinking again about good or bad, it's like, what what is all the physiology change? So there's a fascinating story on this. So uh, we, of course, we hominids descended from simians. And if you look at the simians did not have APOE4, but APOE4 was the primordial allele. So between five and seven million years ago, the, the simians came down, they became hominids. And as you know, very few changes between simians and hominids. I told my wife, you know, my DNA is actually more similar to a male chimp DNA than it is to hers. And she said, well, duh, you both <laughs> the three stooges, you both like ESPN, stuff like that. So they're ve very similar. But the ones that changed, most of it was pro-inflammatory, much of it. So a, a kind of an outsized amount was pro-inflammatory. 
And Professor Tuck Finch, <clears throat> one of my colleagues and old friends, great guy, uh, one of the world's longevity experts for decades, wow. arguably the world's longevity expert for decades, um, uh, from University of Southern California, had pointed out years ago, they, what does it take to come down out of the trees? Well, you're going to step on things and puncture your feet. You're going to fight with your brethren. You're going to fight with your food. And you're going to be eating meat that is full of microbes. It takes a more pro-inflammatory state to protect you. And so sure enough, you look at the APOE that the, the chimps have, you look at the humans, and the humans have this more pro-inflammatory APOE4. For 96% of our evolution as hominids, we were all APOE44. It was only in the last 220,000 years that APOE3 appeared. And then just in the last 80,000 years, APOE2 appeared. Now, APOE4 or APOE3 appeared around the time of fire. We don't know. Nobody knows, you know, why it kind of became, why it appeared or why it has hung on. It's actually now the dominant one. Um, but you can see in third world countries to this day, the APOE4s have an advantage, whereas right. first world countries, the APOE3s have the advantage. Because, because of the parasites and microbial and the hygiene, exactly. you know, issues that come up in the third world. So, yeah, exactly so the right. food, ah, so they'll be able to respond better when there's pathogens on their food. Yes. However, when you're in a first world country, that over-inflammatory responses staying and, and continuing That's far exactly too long. Right. Wow. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And also, if you're APOE4, you absorb fat better, and so you can go through periods of fasting longer. And so, you know, when if you're, again, if you're wandering across the savanna and you're going to die from lack of food, the APOE4s are going to survive longer than the non-APOE4s. That's what uh, I heard. I think it was you who said um, if you're not APOE4, you know, you should be doing intermittent fasting, but maybe in the 12 to 14 hour range. Yes. And if you're APOE4 uh, allele or two alleles, then 14 to 16 or 18 hours yeah. even um, it, it, for you would be an intermittent fasting because you're able to go longer without without food. Uh, and without because you absorb the the, the fats better. Wow, that's just this is just you know like so fascinating because I, I study genetics and and do genetics in my practice and um it, it's amazing what information you can glean about what types of food people should eat, should eat or when they should eat what timing all of this information that's so powerful for people to to because we 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 this one size fits all you know like in the fitness world now like in the fitness and the gym industry and everybody do this you know and it was eat six times a day and do high intensity and do extreme long endurance and do you know which was great for a percentage of the population but they forgot that the other percentage were getting actual detrimental effects from that um, and so we're able now with precision me medicine and precision uh, nutrition to be able to go Mm, for you specifically, I'd recommend doing this, you know, this protocol or that protocol. And this is where I think epigenetics is going to have such an important role. It should be able to tell us, aha, you're heading for this neurodegenerative disease. And it should be able to tell us, okay, here are the things that are actually going to help you the most based on your epigenetic profile. So I think this is going to be increasingly useful. And we are just starting a randomized controlled trial at six sites around the U.S., 
And we are including epigenetics uh, studies. We're including uh, gen uh, genetic studies. Um, we're including uh, these biomarkers like phosphotau and things like that. So I'm very excited that you know, we should be able now to see, we're going to be able better and better to see earlier and earlier, okay, you may be headed for some issues. And then at the same time, we'll be able to say, aha, here's someone who doesn't is not headed for Alzheimer's, but their cognition could be better if you simply did this, that, and the other. And at the mm. same time, I worry about the people who are frail, who then try to do these long fasts. Again, we have to remember, there's a paradox here. Yes. This is a network insufficiency. We don't want people doing long fasts, but we do want them to become insulin sensitive. So it is an insufficiency born of excess, often excess sugar, excess fructose, things like that. And we're not, when we're talking about fructose, we're not saying you should never eat a piece of fruit. Um, no. You know, we, we, we're talking about the processed foods that are very, very high in these things and, and having, you know, I, I, I try and get people to steer away from fruit juices as well, because fruit juices yeah. are, you know, you've taken basically all the sugar out and just left right. with no fiber and no, you know, no, nothing um, of the good stuff is is in there so but we're not saying never eat a, a half an apple or a mandarin or anything like that no, you know in fact, it, we're it, saying you should eat those yeah we, we need the, the all the polyphenols and the flavonoids and the phenolic compounds and all of that sort of good stuff that's in there um so just to just to clarify that and when, when we're looking at fats again this is another thing you know the the, the saturated fats versus the non the the you know um the olive oils and the uh hemp oil and people get very confused that the fat the fat argument uh, again is genetic you know like some people uh, don't do so well on saturated fats and would be do do well to have a low amount of say butters and ghees and lards and things like that. And other people do really well when they have a, a bit more of those. Um, but I think the commonality is things like olive oils and uh, you know we we definitely want to get rid of all the the trans fats, the bad fats, the deep fried foods, the the packaged uh, the the foods that are packaged with canola oils and then processed and things like that. Are those are very very detrimental and the integrity of the membrane i had um dr dayan goodnow are you aware of dr dayan goodnow i know dan well yeah he's a oh. great guy great biochemist oh amazing absolutely I'm, I'm so fascinated by plasmalogens and um and, and his work and and the, the he just keeps coming out with like the, the, I, I want to get my head around the new prodrome uh, scan that he's doing because I think that's going to be very powerful, but I haven't got my uh, a chance to to do it enough. But I've got mum on uh, Prodrome Glia, especially at, at high doses, um, to try to you know help with that um, the glial situation. Um, and and so plasmalogens would be a piece of this puzzle too um, in improving the membranes of the the cells. Would that be a good? Absolutely, yeah. And we recommend people. Check to see. Now we find that some people are doing very well. And so they don't need those. Uh, you know, I, it is another one of these things. Part, you know, part of the problem here, we're asking, how do we get best outcomes? Step one is let's see if we can get people to improve. We've been seeing it now for over 10 years. Okay. Step two is how do we make it practical for people? When we tell someone you got mycotoxins, move out of your house, that is impractical. Mm. When we say, you know, remediate your house for a lot of money, that's impractical. When we say, Take plasmalogens. Some people say, I can't afford them. They are expensive. So, you know, we have to balance you know, how do we make it so that me as many people as possible. So we yeah. actually started a nonprofit 
um, and have had donations that we then turn over to people who need testing wow. or need treatment that they otherwise can't get. Mom. So my hope is that we ultimately have a public health approach. The idea is you have a tiered approach. Everybody does some basics when they, you know, when they hit 35 or 40, do the basics. Now, a few of those people will fall through the cracks. And by the time they're 48, 50, 55, 60, whatever, they'll say, okay, I'm beginning to have some SCI. Okay. They will have to have more evaluation. So the idea is, you know, then there, the, there'll be a few of them that will actually have to get further evaluation. That way, it's a very efficient way to make it so that virtually everybody can avoid cognitive decline. Wow. And so in this pyramid approach, I mean, list off for me some of the lifestyles, some of the easy wins here. So for people that are just wanting to be preventative, like you say, and that in the early stages, um, I've heard you say before they should go and get a cognoscopy, which I love that yeah. word. Yeah. Uh, can you explain that? And then also what are some of the daily practical things for someone now who's not got any major issues, but has maybe an allele or family history or just wants to be in that preventative space that they can do that isn't going to cost the, the, the earth, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And again, you know, the earlier you start, the easier it is. Yeah. So first of all, we all know when you turn 50, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to get a colonoscopy. Uh, and so, okay, um, my my wife and I, when we when we turned fifty, we actually did a his and hers on Valentine's Day. We thought, okay, let's just <laughs> it's a lousy thing. Neither one of us wants to do it. Let's just get it over with. And so, okay, so then the idea is, if you are when you turn forty, you should think about getting a cognoscopy. And it's actually, I have to say, it's much more pleasant than a colonoscopy. <laughs> um, so, number one, it's some blood test. So you you want to know. What is your inflammatory status? You want to know what is your insulin resistance status. Unfortunately, most doctors are not checking these things. Uh, you want to know what is your vascular status. And, and the good news is now we can even begin to check, do you have any of the earliest changes in your brain with things like GFAP and phosphotau? Uh, and of course, epigenetics is going to be, I think, becoming more and more important in looking to see where you stand. The second piece of a three-piece cognoscopy is to get a simple online cognitive assessment. It's easy. You can do it in about 25 or 30 minutes. It'll tell you, are you, you know, are you firing on all cylinders or are things not going so great? And then the third piece, you only need if you already have symptoms or if you're scoring poorly on the test. If you're there purely for prevention, you don't need an MRI. But if you're already having issues, please include an MRI and include volumetrics. So you're actually looking at the size of your hippocampus. You're looking at the size of your parietal lobe, as I talked about earlier, the size of your temporal lobe. These things are actually very helpful to know. And so uh, so commonly, people will get the MRI and they just say, yeah, it looks pretty normal. Well, wait a minute. You can do much, much better than that. The volumetric part is the cheapest part. Wow. So why would you leave that off? Yeah. So with those so we have to ask for that. Know, yeah. Yeah. My hope in the long run is that we'll have a general approach for any neurodegenerative disease. We can say, okay, you for and a nice example is looking at speech. There's a group called Canary that looks at speech patterns. You literally can call up, you know, at 30 seconds, uh, once a week or once a month and see, have things changed? And they should, in the long run, be able to tell you, you know, you're looking like you're headed for a little Louie body or no, you're looking like more like an Alzheimer pattern or oh. you're looking like an ALS pattern. So I think that's going to be valuable. And then looking at some basics like that. 
So yes, get a cognoscopy. Now, what can we all do to reduce? The number one thing, of course, is to get evaluated. That's the key. Find out where you stand. Um, you can take a free test online, CQ. So if you go on, uh, just look at CQ test. CQ, um, yes. well, yep. CQ, C, and then little Q, um, like an IQ. This is CQ. This will tell you where you stand. And then you can see, you know, do I want to be on prevention? Do I want to be on reversal? Or do I want to just wait until next year? Um, and some basics, as I mentioned, the way we think about it is the seven basics and then the specifics. So the seven basics are diet, and that's a plant-rich, mildly ketogenic diet. And actually, um, in the continental U.S., you can now get this directly from uh, from Nutrition for Longevity. I'm really proud of them that they do this. I hope it's going to be available all over the world within the next few years. So you can literally get these so you don't have to go and look for, do I get organic and how do I do this? And you know, how do I make sure I get a mildly ketogenic That's plant? That's the KetoFlex 12.3 program. You can buy it and make it in your store to yourself. Do wow. the appropriate things. It is, you know, again, as you said earlier, plant phenols and the, these sorts of things that are absolutely critical. And then exercise. You want to get some both the, of the uh, muscular training, the weight training, and you also want to get some of the aerobics. I happen to like EWAT, but there are others. And of course, uh, HIT. Uh, the very, very helpful as well. You want to perfuse that brain. You yes. want to improve your insulin sensitivity. You want to improve your blood flow. Um, and along those lines, one of the most common things we see is people have undiagnosed sleep apnea. So they're not getting Good the point. oxygenation to their brains. Mm. So uh, this is where things like wearables can be helpful. So, you know, you can check. I check every night where mm. where do I stand with my oxygenation when I'm sleeping? You should be up in that 96 to 98 percent range. And if you're dropping down into the 80s, and even in, we see people into the 70s, mm. that is too low. That's not good for your brain. No, it's definitely. <laughs> and, exercise. and then sleep. You know, uh, Professor Matthew Walker has written a wonderful book called Why We Sleep, mm. um, all about these various issues. And there's just no question, it, to get optimal cognition, you need good sleep. You'd like to see at least an hour of deep sleep at night. You'd like to see at least an hour and a half of REM sleep per night. Um, and then stress. Um, as long as we have ongoing stress, we're not going to relax. We're not going to kind of tone things down. It's just like being stressed inflammatory or, you know, inflammation wise, this is being stressed mentally. And so many of us live in this world. It's fine to get some stress as long as you then resolve it. Stress resolution, we're made to do that. We're not made to have this chronic multi years of stress. It's just horrible for you. And then brain training. And Professor Mike Mersnick uh, won the Kavli Prize. I mean, he is the grandfather of brain training and has done a great job. We use his approach, which is Brain HQ, um, in our trials. And you can see people improve. Uh, you can wow. see just dramatic improvements as they do the right things. Um, and then some detox. Uh, many of us are living in toxic environments. You can get that evaluated as well. Uh, but even doing some basic detox, getting on some uh, liposomal glutathione or some uh, N-acetylcysteine, mm. um, sometimes some sulforaphane, uh, making sure you're using clean water, uh, filtered water, that sort of thing. Making sure that you're doing some sweating, followed by uh, followed by a, a you know a, a shower uh, with a with a non toxic soap like Castile soap, so that you're getting rid of these toxins. 
uh, making sure, you know, the gut is one of the big issues, making sure that your elimination is appropriate. You're getting probiotics, you're getting prebiotics, you're supporting the bacteria then. Uh, and, and I should mention one of the most one of the most common things we see is people who end up having SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, and that is can that can be a source of inflammation. It's, it can be a source of back pressure, um, so that now you're getting things like esophagitis. So uh, that's another one that you, mm. you know, doctors tend not to think of. It's quite difficult to diagnose, isn't it? You know, like um, with SIBO and and there's a connection between SIBO and Parkinson's and, you know, other neurodegenerative things. So uh, that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth where the the bacteria, for those listening, should be in the the lower intestine is moved up into the small intestine and where it shouldn't be. So if you're getting a lot of bloating and distension and um, things like that, maybe try and get that checked out there are breath tests and the, yes. the, the tests that have have issues um so they're a little bit it's a little bit hard to get a, a complete diagnosis without um you know going down there and taking samples and, and so on but uh I'm, I'm trying to assess this for for a client at the moment um yeah. and, and it's a very important thing because you know when we're working on the microbiome we don't want to be putting in the high amounts of fiber and the probiotics if they've got SIBO that's contraindicated so you you know it is one of those things that you sort of need to rule out is it that or is it not that and if it's not we go down this path and you know microbiome's very complex but this is great this is all of these things and sauna is another fantastic thing probably cold therapy I would imagine would be another good uh you know like jumping into cold water (laughs) well you know very interesting the cold so all these things again when you kind of see how this works they all make sense yeah. So cold therapy basically is increasing your mitochondria, right? It's mitochondrial yep. function and mitochondrial number. And so, yeah, because this is an energetic and inflammatory disease, as you said, IA over E, that's the key. So uh, because of that, you want to support your mitochondria. You want to support them biochemically, but you also want to trigger them. And things like cold therapy do exactly that. Yeah. Yep. And I should mention, you know, that's the last piece of the seven is some targeted supplements. And so, yeah, you want to make sure that your magnesium is appropriate. You want to make sure that your vitamin D, your vitamin B12, all of these things are critical. And they, you want to support your, your gut microbiome, of course. Um, the great news is, you know, I was taught that there was nothing that could be done for people with Alzheimer's. The reality is just the opposite. Mm-hmm. There is a tremendous armamentarium that we have for brain health and for Alzheimer's. And these are, of course, these are very appropriately linked. And so you would just have to understand when to use each one and how to use them to get optimal outcomes. Yeah, this is absolutely absolutely wonderful. Dr. Dale, you've been so generous with your time today. I know that we've gone a little bit over, but I'm just so grateful. Where can people, and I have a number of doctors listening and a number of um, allied professional, health professionals, if they're wanting to do your training, where can they go to to become a practitioner in the Bredesen Protocol and Recode and um, Precode? Um, where can they do that? And then your books and and where, where, where can pe- pe- people reach out to your, your team and your work that you're doing? Yeah, thanks for that. And uh, Dr. Dave Jenkins, who uh, comes to New Zealand at times, has has yes. done this and has done very well with his. He's patients. coming on shortly. I, I oh, spoke to. I, I had a uh, I had a Zoom call with Dave just Good. last week, and uh, 
uh, yeah, we, we we got talking on all sorts of things. So yeah. a fascinating, man. And uh, yeah, I, we definitely because there will be people after listening to this that need yeah. someone here in New Zealand. So we've got someone. Yeah. <laughs> Dave and Mickey are doing a great job. Uh, and then, of course, um, the you could go to Recode Two Point Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the training, um, and this is through Apollo Health. And we've had we have all sorts of experts. Neil Nathan, who's one of the world experts. Uh, on uh, on various toxin illnesses um, and things like Bartonella, things like what has been called SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, very important uh, because of this ongoing inflammation. Uh, Dr. Anne Hathaway, who's an expert on uh, BHRT, hormone approaches, mm. uh, and uh, Dr. Cyrus Raji, who's a superb neuroradiologist from Washington University in St. Louis, uh, and so just on and on with all sorts of experts, uh, Dr. Chris Shade, who's an expert in toxins and things like mercury and things like that. All of these people are on the Recode 2.0 training. And wow. this is offered to health coaches as well, nurse practitioners and other uh, other medical practitioners. Um, and you can see more on uh, either uh, Facebook, uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen, uh, or Instagram or Twitter, any of those. Um, and then the books, uh, The End of Alzheimer's is now available in 33 languages. Wow, nice. uh, and uh, The End of Alzheimer's program uh, is more, people had asked for more specifics. And so that's the one I actually wrote with a, with a patient who's, who's doing well, Julie, that I mentioned earlier, uh, patient and citizen scientist. She's amazing. Uh, and then the third one was the end, uh, the, or the, fir- is the third one is the first survivors of Alzheimer's. Because again, it, it's my favorite thing is to hear people's personal stories of improvement. And we just have to keep getting at what's causing the problem to get the best outcomes. This is evolving. And I'm really enthusiastic. We're going to be opening the first precision medicine program for neurodegenerative diseases uh, at the Pacific uh, Neuroscience Institute in Los Angeles. So I'm very enthusiastic about that. Wow, this is absolutely amazing. Dr. Dale, you've been absolutely fabulous today. So grateful for the work, the dedication, the decades of dedication to this, this huge problem. Um, and we, we, it's, it's absolutely fabulous that people now have a bit of a roadmap after listening to this on how they can get help, where they can go, what they can start with. And, you know, let's get this word out there to more and more people. Um, so that they're not just told when they go to the, to the local doctor that there's nothing we can do. Yeah. And thank you for being relentless. You've done (laughs) so much for your mother and for your own health, obviously. So great to talk to you, Lisa. Happy to talk anytime and keep up the fabulous work. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com.